This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. We uh, continue to have a raccoon problem over at the uh, the Serrett household up in Onionville, north of Toronto. We, uh, in fact, evicted a, a raccoon back in the spring after about $500 uh, getting those wire uh, cages or wire mesh installed what they what the uh, the uh, the raccoon people do the pest control people do is they told us the the raccoons they climb up the uh, the downspouts and that's how they get into the uh, into the uh, or at your your soffits and then they just they pry those because it's aluminum they pry the soffits uh, off and then they they have access to your attic and so uh, we thought, okay, problem solved. And they, they put in a one-way trap door so that the raccoon mm-hmm. actually uh, exits at night because they're nocturnal, of course, and then the door slams behind him and he can't get back in, and all of the, the, the possible entrance ways are nicely uh, secured with this. It's very, uh, you know, tough steel. Uh, anyway, we thought the problem was solved. Well, a raccoon actually found a way to get back into our place and we just paid another $450. And I think it's the same raccoon, the same one we evicted. He's back. You see, that's what happens. They get bumped from somebody else's house, and then they come back to your house. So um, we're waiting for him to uh, to uh, to exit the one-way trap door. Maybe it'll happen tonight. I'm not sure. But he's kept up, uh, or kept our little uh, boys, uh, North and Zach, up uh, the last couple of nights because they're up there scratching around and so forth. So I tell you, they're, they're costing me money, these bandits. They got their little uh, their little paws in my hip pocket, and I uh, I'm fed up. They're darn cute, but man, what a nuisance! All right, welcome to the program, and uh, UFOs pretty much wall to wall tonight. We'll uh, we'll speak with a documentary filmmaker, Ali Siadatan, 
who, um, who put a nice, uh, very popular online documentary together, or it's available online. You can also buy it on DVD. It's called UFOs, Angels, and Gods. And he comes at the whole UFO issue. Now, this is contentious, a contentious um, issue within the, the, the greater UFO community, UFO disclosure community. But he is one such individual who believes that uh, UFOs or the, the pilots of UFOs, ETs are not, in fact, here to save us from ourselves. They are not our friends. They are, in fact, uh, something to be uh, incredibly feared. And again, coming at it from a, uh, from a biblical perspective, uh, believes that they are not extraterrestrial. They are interdimensional and perhaps even demonic. Ali Siadatan, that'll be uh, around midnight. However, before we get to, uh, to that... We are going to uh, to be um, welcomed here in a moment by a, an acclaimed UFO historian who's just come out with volume two of, a, of a, what will be a trilogy, UFOs in the National Security State, the cover-up exposed. But first, also joined in studio by a good friend of the program, the media uh, director for Exo Politics Canada, another uh, group uh, dedicated to uh, ending the 60-plus year truth embargo on UFOs, Victor Vigiani, hello, welcome once again. It's just great to be here again. Thank you very much, Richard. You know, you're one of the few people I actually allow to sit here live in studio. Everyone else has to be on the phone. (laughs) Is that because I'm like a raccoon? I have an opposable thumb and can cry, you know? That's right. You just keep sneaking past security and I can't get rid of you. (laughs) Welcome. It's great to be here, yeah, for sure. And uh, we are going to, uh, as I say, be joined here in a moment by uh, uh, Richard Dolan. Um, but uh, And you've got uh, a, a copy there, uh, mm-hmm. UFOs and the National Security State, the cover-up uh, exposed. Uh, for those not familiar with, uh, with Richard's work, rather than um, my introducing him, why don't I get you to do it? Because, uh, I mean, well, you've been on this yeah. beat for a lot longer than I have, Victor. Well, when I first... Yeah, when I first got involved in all of this uh, many, many years ago, the the definition and the criteria and the parameters around uh, all of the the sightings and the the perceptions of what UFOs were was kind of all over the place. It was very loosely tied together. People, ufologists were all over the place. And all of a sudden, uh, on the horizon, dawns this individual, uh, Richard Dolan, um, who we're going to talk to just in a few minutes. And he ties together in his first volume... Um, and a very, very specific and very um, brilliant, as far as I'm concerned, chronological order and historical order, uh, the UFO issue. He ties everything all together. And in the first volume, he did it in a very specific, uh, academic manner, in a very professional way. And for anyone who wanted to, let's say, start a university course on UFOs, let's suppose you wanted to teach a course, this book, his first book, would be the one you would start with. Uh, make no bones about it. It 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 would be the the uh, the penultimate book that you would want to have your students read in order to understand the entire facet of the the UFO issue. And then all of a sudden he comes out with this long labored second volume uh, with the National Security State and UFOs, and it puts everything all together in, in perspectives. And he just has a way of encapsulating not only his own personal perspectives but the historical perspective of how the UFO cover up has unfolded over the years. Not 
only with his own perceptions, but with actual citing reports and, and documents and, and the entire array of, of information that you would want to grab a hold of if you want to know everything about UFOs. So this is the book, as far as I'm concerned, that would uh, tell everybody the entire story about the UFO phenomenon. All right. Well, that being said, let's get uh, Rich Dolan in and uh, welcome him to The Conspiracy Show AM 740. Hello, Richard. Thank you, Richard. I'm very, very happy to be on the show tonight, and hello to you, Victor. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? It's, uh, I'm uh, very pleased to be on the air, that's for sure. Great. Uh, Richard, we, we've talked to you before uh, in another lifetime at another radio station, but mm-hmm. uh, this is a, a brand new audience, and um, I, I know I asked you this question the first time, but I, I'm going to ask you it again, so bear with me. And that is a, 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 someone like yourself, who is, uh, I mean, you are a, a finalist for a Rhodes Scholarship. You, you uh, studied at uh, Oxford University. Uh, you completed your graduate work in history. Yes. How how do you make that transition from the the world of uh, academia to to studying this strange uh, phenomena? Well, yeah, that's a fair question, and I I, I don't tire of answering it. Um, I, I look at life of learning as as a series of journeys, and uh, you know, in uh, my early years, I I had to go through a certain path. That is the path of uh, of historical learning and understanding, and I I devoted myself to that very very diligently. Um, <clears throat> in my early thirties, about fifteen years ago, I was uh, in the heart of writing a doctoral dissertation in history uh, here in the city of Rochester, where I live, at the University of Rochester. I was uh, involved in the study of the presidency of Harry Truman at the time and studying a lot of related matters, all, all fairly conventional. Um, I, I was never, even in those days, a strictly conventional sort of guy. As I look back on it, uh, I feel that I was always um, striving to go a little bit beyond what I, I conceived or perceived as conventional um, knowledge. Uh, I've, I have a couple of uh, old professors who actually um, have, have said this to me now in retrospect. <laughs> Um, but the, the truth is, in the early 90s, I was in a bookstore, and I saw a copy of a great UFO conspiracy book, and that was by Timothy Good, the classic work, Above Top Secret, subtitled The Worldwide UFO Cover-Up. And I d- distinctly recall being taken by the cover of that and, and flipping through the book. And the thing that got me was the fact that I recognized many of the names of the political leaders that he had had in the book. I was studying them at that very time. And uh, and certainly the history of a lot of the departments that he had, had mentioned in there, a lot of U.S. Uh, defense-related departments, CIA. And here he was connecting them very explicitly to the UFO f- cover-up. And I thought, wow, so, you know, is this true or not? And, and my first question, I was in a very conservative place comparatively at that time, uh, was not were UFOs real. Uh, I wasn't there yet. I wanted to know, was this an actual topic that was of historical interest. Did the national security elite of the United States and perhaps other countries take UFOs seriously? And even if that was a mistake, why had I never read about it in any academic history book? I mean, that's interesting, after all. How could that not be interesting? And so I had this, really, let's call it an obsession. I wanted to know. Uh, something grabbed hold of me, and this, this type of topic... You know, the UFO topic, once it grabs you, it can grab you and keep you. And so I wanted to know, did the believers actually have a good argument, as has often been claimed? We've all heard the claims. 
And so what I did is what any good student, I think, would do. And you, I found uh, the relevant bibliography. I wanted to see, was there a good case that the believers made? And I quickly found out, well, yeah, they had a very good case. And, you know, one answer led to another question, more questions, and so on, and right on down the rabbit hole. The next thing I knew, I had taken some pretty good notes on the UFO phenomenon, and that led to me publishing my, my first book uh, back in 2000 now, and I think, my God, a long time ago, um, I called it UFOs in the National Security State, and that was the first volume of, of what I thought would be a projected two-volume history. And that volume covered the early 1940s up to 1973, and as uh, Victor very graciously said, it's a, it's a book that really attempted to be a comprehensive history of, of that period. Well, I've now followed up with a second volume, and there will be a third. The second volume, which I just finished a couple of months ago, it's still quite new, I subtitled The Cover-Up Exposed, and it covers from 1973 up until the end of the Cold War, 1991. It's a critically important period of history in all of this, uh, in the UFO topic, as well as in our own modern history. And in a sense, what I tried to do is not just do a UFO book, but a, a reinterpretation of our own history and indeed of who we are. Okay, well, listen, we'll uh, delve into that important period in history, 73 to 91. I tell you, uh, Rich, if uh, some of the uh, the uh, disclosure advocates are right and Barack Obama will end disclosure, the, the truth embargo, you better, uh, you better get right to work on Volume 3. <laughs> you might be running out of time. Listen, we'll come back. Richard Dolan, author of UFOs and the National Security State, The Cover-Up Exposed, Victor Vigiani in studio from Exopolitics Canada. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We all have our eyes on the sky these days. Uh, although after midnight, my, uh, my guest might suggest uh, rather than keeping your eye on the sky, you might better keep your uh, eye on your own back. Uh, Richard Dolan is with us the author of UFOs and the National Security State, The Cover-Up Exposed. This is the second book of a, a planned trilogy on uh, UFOs and the National Security State. This book covers the period 1973 to 1991. Richard, you are a, a, an historian, and you, you said that you, uh, you wanted to find out, this sort of set you on your path, uh, to find out whether uh, UFO researchers actually had a case. Was there an aha moment... Uh, for you? Was, was it a document? What was it that, that, that uh, you suddenly said, my gosh, they do have a, a case? Yeah, there was a, it was a, a series of moments when um, doing what I was always most comfortable with doing, which is studying government documents. Uh, it so happens in the, in, history, in the history of the United States, we had a very excellent period when the Freedom of Information Act was particularly useful in extracting UFO-related documents from the government. Uh, that, that was during the late 70s, early, very early 80s. Um, those documents were available to me by the time I started studying all of this, and there were quite a few very good ones. Uh, I distinctly recall reading uh, one called The Twining Memo. It's very famous among researchers. General Nathan Twining, back in 1947, uh, was head of what was called Air Material Command over at Wright Field in Ohio. That became Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And in September of 1947, Twining wrote a very extensive memo to another general 
describing the military reports that were coming in uh, about UFOs. And it, it's a very particular memo in which he uh, says, you know, the reports describe these objects as domed on top, flat on bottom. That's rather interesting. What, what is domed on top and flat on bottom in 1947? Uh, silent or nearly so every time, evasive maneuvers when sighted. In other words, giving very strong credence to the fact that this was a problem that engaged the U.S. military. And what made it particularly interesting to me was that in uh, fall of 1947, the U.S. Air Force was telling the public that there was nothing to this. <laughs> so, so we know for a fact that they were lying uh, at that time. And, and then there were a series of other documents. There was an FBI document also from the late 40s that described the flying saucer topic as top secret. And these are confirmed documents. And so, um, you know, that was always my stock in trade, looking at confirmed uh, government documents. And when I started reading, one after the next, after the next, very serious nature, describing things that were really just supposed to be impossible, but taking them quite seriously. Then I thought, aha, there's something here. And I, I just kept going. Yeah, that moment was, uh, that twining memo for me, Richard, was was probably one of the pivotal points for me, too. Um, in, in in the book, in your, in your second book um, that I have here in front of me, you make a very clear statement in the, in the initial introduction, and you talk about the UFO phenomenon to be something most assuredly, and then you have in quote, not of us. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you, I know you probably know it. You wrote the book, so you probably know the page and verse. But you also go on to talk about the idea that um, th- th- this, whole, this whole notion of, of what the UFO issue is, is kept guarded by the secret keepers. And, and you, you make the point that um, the secrets are being kept not just by nation states. These secrets may be being kept by people beyond, uh, you know, France, uh, Great Britain, That's the right. United States. Um, what, what does that mean? I mean, who beyond all of these nation states have the, the control to keep this stuff under wraps? Right. Well, this is a very tricky aspect of the, of the topic, but it must not be avoided just because it's tricky. Uh, let's forget for a moment that UFOs even exist, and let's just look at the world in, in, a, in a, a, a clear geopolitical way and try to understand what the structure of power in this world actually is. It's become my belief that all of us are hampered in our ability to understand what is going on in our world today because we're living in obsolete concepts that we grew up with as children that really no longer apply. And uh, what I'm referring to is the nation state. Uh, I think what has happened in the last several decades is what we've seen is the systematic strangulation of the traditional nation-state into something that we now call globalism. All right, now we all kind of understand that. So the real question is, if I'm here in the U.S., you're in, you're in Canada, if in the U.S. we don't believe that the most powerful person is the president, and a lot of us don't, then the real question is, well, who? One of the things that I've tried to do in, in this book is to understand, you know, is there a kingmaker or a series of kingmakers behind the scenes that decides who goes into the White House. Uh, And in fact, that turns out to be exactly the case. And in fact, we can probably say that that kingmaker's name is David Rockefeller, uh, who is intimately connected with 
every single U.S. presidency during the period of review under my book, um, that there are financial interests, in other words, behind the scenes. And until we understand that these interests exist, you know, we're never, ever going to make headway in understanding the world around us. Now, let's move on to the UFO topic. All right, it's not simply that all governments are becoming dominated by private financial interests. That, that I think, is absolutely the case. But what I've found is that within the UFO cover-up itself, this is also the case. Within the U.S., we have a black budget. Everyone's heard about the black budget. They're also known as special access programs, and some of these are called unacknowledged special access programs, and there's a whole series of them. Um, they, they have little to no oversight by Congress and by the elected representative officials of this country, but they exist. A lot of money goes into them. Well, what we found about these special access programs is that they increasingly are dominated not by Defense Department personnel and government officials, but rather by private contractors, uh, Lockheed and General Electric and Boeing and so forth. That They are the dominant players in these special access programs. It's an important point to make. Now, taking it one step further into the UFO aspect, I've had several direct connections, very high-level individuals, who have said to me, this is admittedly on a confidential basis, at least in most of their cases, that in the unacknowledged special access programs relating to UFO technology, and these programs do exist, that those programs are absolutely dominated by private, not government, interests. That the, any government uh, people involved in this are simply gateways for funding. Really, very little more than that. Richard, I've got to uh, I've got to step away here and take a quick time out. Well, when I come okay. back, I, I'd like you to uh, talk a, a little bit more about what you mean by UFO projects. Sure. Uh, I think that's uh, rather uh, yeah, uh, crucial that's to the discussion. What it's all about. Uh, yes, Richard Dolan. Acclaimed UFO historian, author of UFOs and the National Security State, The Cover-Up Exposed, 1973 to 1991. In studio, Victor Vigiani, Exopolitics Canada. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Ramey says that so far as can be determined, no one saw the object in the air, and he describes it as being made of some sort of tinfoil. Other Army officials say that further information indicates that the object had a diameter of about 20 to 25 feet, and that nothing in the apparent construction indicated any capacity for speed, and that there was no evidence of a power plant. But this also appeared too flimsy to carry a man. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To get to the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Oh, quite frankly, I'm not sure I can handle the truth. The truth, that is, about uh, UFOs and whether 
extraterrestrials are visiting this planet and perhaps interacting at some level with our civilization, interacting perhaps with our leaders, or some buffer between our leaders and the unelected oligarchs, the people that really stage, manage world events and rule this prison planet. Richard Dolan is with us, author of UFOs and the National Security State. This is volume two, the uh, the cover-up exposed, 73 to 91, the latter years of the Cold War. And uh, in studio, Victor Vigiani, media director from Exopolitics uh, Canada. Uh, Richard, you mentioned this, uh, well, let's call it a shadow government, for lack of a better term, and uh, their involvement with UFO projects. And they have trillions of dollars at their disposal, these black budgets, uh, what do you mean specifically by UFO projects? Yeah, well, what what I argue has happened, and, and uh, again, I have to summarize this uh, dramatically because it's a, it's a 600-page book, but um, I think that a very strong case is made for the fact that over the years, more than one example, uh, more than one occasion, has occurred in which uh, U.S. military personnel have gotten into their possession hardware that was not manufactured by human hands. That's about as simple as way as I can put it. And so uh, this was at Roswell, and I think this was elsewhere as well. One of the reasons I argue this is, is because I did a very detailed study of, of the stories and, and investigations themselves that took place during the 70s and 80s when these stories really came out. Um, so I, I really try to give them a, a strong um, provenance and a very strong kind of uh, description of how all of this happened. And I think the case is a strong one. And so if you have a number of instances in which you know, American personnel have recovered this technology, what, what has ended up happening is that it became an imperative project to study that technology and find out well, what could we do with it. <laughs> And indeed, if you really want to backtrack and pretend it's 1947, let's say, and let's say you're President Harry Truman, and you've been presented with this utterly awesome fact that uh, you've gotten in your possession alien technology, right? So what do you do? Well, you might have an instinct, in fact, to tell the world. I mean, it's possible you might want to do that. But then you might think twice, because if you tell the world you've got this technology, well, it would certainly become much more difficult not to share it, and you might not want to share it with the Soviet Union. You might not want to share it with other nations. You might just want to study it for a while on your own. And so you might put together a very elite group of individuals and, and say, your job will be to, to send this off to private industry, have them study it. Your job will be to find out how bad the panic might be. Your job would be to uh, manage the media and manage the academic world and so forth. And maybe we'll revisit this in a few years and decide what our plan is. And I think that's probably how it started. Uh, of course, the problem with secrets is that they develop their own momentum, their own profit. And uh, in regarding the UFO technology program, I think it became very profitable. After all, if you have enough brilliant minds working in absolute uh, secrecy and security on this, at some point someone's going to have one or more eureka moments in which they think, ah, well, I can't exactly duplicate these electromagnetic properties of this, but I can come up with something pretty neat anyway. And so now you've got a moneymaker. Now you've got more power in the, in, you know, the global uh, geopolitical scene and so forth. So your incentive dwindles rapidly. And so these, these programs 
go farther and farther black, as the phrase that's used. It's black because you can't see it. Until and even the president is not in the loop or on a need-to-know basis, I'm guessing. Right. It, it's not. It's still, to this day, not exactly clear to me how much each president knows. I think it's, it's very likely that presidents know varying amounts. Um, I, I have spoken to um, a couple of individuals on this matter who are, I think, in a very good position to know. And this is what I got back. Uh, it was it was told to me very explicitly that certain presidents knew quite a lot. Among them, uh, Jimmy Carter, who, in fact, as I described in my book, um, was said to have his head in his hands, sobbing, literally, at his desk following the briefing that occurred uh, allegedly in June of 1977. I don't know what was told to him. Uh, I was also told, though, that Ronald Reagan was briefed fairly thoroughly on this, and I was told that George Bush Sr. very probably knew everything that he needed to know about it. It was made clear to me that subsequent presidents might not have been as briefed as thoroughly as they'd wanted. That means Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. I don't know uh, about Barack Obama. Uh, I I cannot pretend that I know at all how much this man has been briefed on this matter. But uh, the impression that I got is that that power is increasingly moving away from the office of the U.S. presidency into, well, into where? Into powers behind that office. And so it's not clear to me. I don't think anyone really to this day can know exactly where these secrets ultimately are kept. But uh, everyone who's looked at this agrees that it's, it appears to have gone beyond mere government authority. Uh, now, one, one concept that I, I've uh, pursued and really explored in this book is the concept of what I now call a breakaway civilization. Um, what I'm hypothesizing, what I believe, is that within the classified world, given enough time and money and security and the opportunity to study radically advanced technology, that enough breakthroughs have probably been made so that, you know, science works, science works, and one breakthrough leads to another, and one, and, and so on, and so on, so that it goes exponentially, not linearly. And what I really believe has happened is that we are making our own UFOs, so to speak, that muddies the water. So when you see what you think is a UFO, well, it may be made by us, and it may not be made by us. But the farther along that this black world goes in its own technological development, the farther away from us, the rest of us, they really have gone. And probably the more difficult it would be for them than to explain to the rest of the world just what they've got. Uh, in, In fact, in human history, we have many examples of simultaneous civilizations existing. If you go back several hundred years, ancient early China and early Europe were very different, they had different belief systems, different levels of technology and so forth. Ancient Africa, the same thing. In our own recent Cold War, Western and Soviet science also did not share a lot of secrets, of course. And so what I think is what has happened within the classified world is that we might be able truly to consider them a separate breakaway civilization. If their developments have gotten to be so radical as to leave the rest of us behind, they would also have very probably a different cosmology, different core beliefs about the nature of their reality, that we could with justice call them a separate civilization. I believe this has happened, and I think this would complicate matters of any kind of disclosure that might occur 
from uh, from a standing U.S. president. Well, that's really an, an interesting hypothesis, and that kind of leads me into the next point that I want to make with you, Richard. Uh, you mentioned earlier you talked uh, very briefly about the media. Yeah. And um, in, in, at one point in your book, uh, you talk about Catherine Graham of the Washington Post. Yeah. But you talked about uh, the idea that, you know, so, sometimes uh, things have to be kept from the general public and uh, they do not need to know certain things and they should not know certain things. That is exactly what she said to a CIA audience in, yes. back in 1988. And I find that um, statement by a media representative uh, incredibly interesting and, and possibly reprehensible. Um, the the idea of the media um, kind of getting a hold of some of this information at some point, and we have to we have to consider the the possibility that certain individuals within the media at whatever levels, and I don't want to get into mainstream or whatever. And have to have been brought into part of this process, and they have to have been able to look at the information and evaluate it at a very circumstantial level and an evidentiary level, and made a decision to say, "No, this is all nuts," or "Boy, is this ever hot?" Right. And then they have to make a decision: Where do we go with this? What do we do with it? And at some level, who decides to say, no, we're not going to talk about it? Yeah, I think their bosses decide that, and their bosses are, are really the, those people who are very much in bed with the, the global intelligence community. Uh, this sounds crazy to some people, but frankly, this is the most mundane of, of truths, which is that the CIA and other related intelligence groups have, have had their hooks into major media for decades, generations. Um, go go to a local library and, and get some books on this. Mm-hmm. This is not mm-hmm. a radical statement to make. Sure, and entire publications. Academia, were, by the way, entire publications were created by the CIA, including, uh, according to many, I think, reputable researchers, Ms. Magazine. Oh, I didn't know about that. I see that's a new one. A glorious glorious Steinem as a CIA asset. There you go. It, it's completely unsurprising. I mean, um, in other words. If you want to manage, it's not like in the days of the Soviet Union, whereas if, if you dissented from the state, you'd get the 3 a.m. knock on the door, and then you'd disappear. Okay, so in Western societies, it's, it's not that crude, at least hopefully not yet. Uh, <laughs> but so, so popular opinion has to be managed in a much more sophisticated way, and this is a concept that goes back. I mean, Noam Chomsky explored this very, very thoroughly over many years. So that what is necessary, then, is to control the parameters of debate within a society. And so you control the right and the left, you see. It's important to manage both. And so what we now know is that the CIA managed many, many uh, allegedly independent cultural organizations in the U.S. that were very liberal. Okay? It's not that outrageous. People saying, oh, my God, they're liberal. Well, by controlling that, you see, you, you define the limits of what is acceptable debate. And that's absolutely critically important. People don't often remember that fact. And so um, within the media, um, well, I mean, back, back 30 years ago, there was a, a breakthrough article by the journalist Carl Bernstein for Rolling Stone magazine in which he uh, outed about 400 American journalists who had been on, secretly on the CIA payroll. You know, the CIA later said, well, we don't do that anymore. And what they meant was we don't have paid relationships well, it, of course, nothing is ever above board. Everything is understood, quid pro quo, under the table. 
journalists, frankly, are beating the doors down to have relationships with the CIA. The CIA doesn't need to have paid relationships with them. So the point is that the mainstream is covered. The academic community is covered. We know for sure that there have been intimate relationships with the U.S. National Security Committee. I mean, it's a revolving door. The guy who wrote the U.S. Patriot Act, John Yoo, when he left the Bush administration in 2003, where did he go? He went to teach at Berkeley. It's, just, it, it's really quite open these days. Let's, uh, Richard, uh, let's uh, work in a call. Mary is in Buffalo. Mary, welcome to AM 740 and The Conspiracy Show. Go ahead. Oh, hi. I even hate to start. I mean, I'm listening to you and, and everything you say I, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with, and I'm getting more and more frightened by the minute. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> well, that's, that's reality. My, pro- my problem mm. is that my experience was, I, and I, can, I don't remember dates, but I can get dates if I have to because of the place I worked. I moved into a very, very small town outside of Buffalo, a dairy town. And where I moved was a little house up on a hill and nothing around, acres and acres, hundreds of acres around me. I think there were another two or, other, two or three other houses in this area. And um, it was very dark, no street lights, you know, farmland, mm-hmm. narrow streets. Today, it's almost like a city compared to what it was. Mary, could you get right to your encounter? I hate to rush you, but we are short on time. Just get right to your encounter. I know. The thing is, my experience was that when I first started, because it it would take a long time to to, to tell you detail by detail, detail. I was sitting alone in my living room. My husband's working at night, and it was banging on my roof. It's just so hard to tell you everything because it's hard to read. Your roof was banging out of the blue. Out of the blue. Okay. And uh, what happened next? It happened for three weeks in a row. The first time it wasn't too bad. The second time it was a little worse. And the third time I thought it was going to come through the ceiling. Were you able to determine what was going on? No, not at that point. No, at all. Not at all. And I that third time that it happened, I had a dog, uh, a German, uh, a um, a collie, uh, also with me. My husband, I was alone. And I normally had read the book and, and watched television. I, I called my dog, and I, I had a little common gear parked outside the door. And I said, well, I'm going to get out of here. I don't know what's going on. But I got in the car, and immediately we were enveloped in, in like a very, very thick fog. I got to say, well, if I have to get away, I mean, I'm in the car ready to leave, you know. It was right outside my door. But from that moment on, um, after that, I was up early at 2.30 in the morning, and I saw this huge round ball. Actually, it was in the middle, in the, in the middle 70, somewhere 74, 75. A round ball. Was it, uh, was it hovering? Ball. Hovering? Um, was it uh, glowing? Sorry? Was it hovering? Was it glowing? Was it making no, any sounds? No, it was coming down from in, in the northeast, coming on, on a slant, coming down very, very slowly, very large orange ball, like a har- harvest moon, and very slowly, and it sat down. It just landed and I assumed what was the park that was, I mean, trees. I mean, it's all trees around here. And I, I assumed where it would be, it was, but I had no idea because it's 2.30 in the morning. And it stayed there. And I'm, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it at my kitchen window. Did anything exit the, uh, the ball? Well, no. It was, I, you couldn't see anything except the ball, except that I did have a pair of binoculars. And I, and I watched it, and it was... It, it, I said I was going to stay there and sit there and wait and see where I saw it come down. I wanted to see where it would go. In Can I meantime, jump in, Mary, and ask you? I'm, I'm, I'm very interested. How did this encounter end? 
oh, it ended with the UFO sitting right outside my window. That's how. Well, it, it had to have gone away at some point. How did it leave? The, U, the UFO I saw was that night when I waited to see where it went. I called the cops. They came, looked at this ball, and they said it was a streetlight, <laughs> reflection of a streetlight in a little town, I mean, in the middle of acres of land, you know. All right, a All street right. lamp indeed. Mary, listen, thank you for that call. Uh, uh, give us a call again sometime, and um, uh, you can give us uh, some more updates on that story. Uh, Richard, as you stay put, we'll uh, come back on the other side and continue to delve into... Um, I'm particularly fascinated with this... Uh, uh, I guess we call them the, the no's and the no's, no-nots. We're the no-nots, and we have these uh, super elites with UFO technology, perhaps. Uh, who knows? Maybe traveling to the stars, colonizing Mars right under our very nose. Victor Vigiani in studio, Exopolitics Canada. My name is Richard Serrett. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. John Lennon wasn't writing about UFOs in that song necessarily, but I have it on good authority that he had uh, several... Uh, UFO uh, sightings, encounters, right in the heart of New York City, both at the Dakota and a uh, another apartment he rented, uh, I believe, on the Lower East Side. Uh, of course, the anniversary of Lenin's uh, death coming up, and we'll probably touch on that at some point. Victor Vigiani is in studio, Exopolitics uh, Canada, and a longtime UFO disclosure advocate, and Richard Dolan on the line uh, from... I believe, of Rochester, UFOs and the National Security State. This is Volume uh, 2, his book, uh, covering the years 73 to 91. And, uh, Victor, I'm going to let you uh, uh, run with this in a minute, but I just I wanted to, to reset. One of the most amazing things that uh, you have said tonight, uh, Richard, among many, is uh, dividing uh, the human family into um, these uh, enlightened uh, 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 secret elites who have, perhaps, UFO technology, almost to the point where you're dividing the human family into two separate civilizations. They... Right. I, I, I actually do believe that this is happening. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I know it sounds nuts, but in fact, when you look at, <clears throat> you look at the facts as detached as possible, uh, it, it does indeed look like this is what is going on. Um, and in fact, I know I'm not the only person who's seeing it. I'm just looking at it from uh, more of a, a, a UFO cover-up type of angle. All right, Victor, do you want to pick up on that? Well, it, it just seems to me, Richard, that in, in reading the book, it's quite clear that if you take a look at the compendium of information that you've got in this, in this volume, anyone with you know, half a brain who looks you know, even three-quarters way through the book 
uh, if they pick it up off the shelves and they've had no prior experience in, in any of this, has to figure out there's something going on here. And my question is, um, when when this elite group has this this huge amount of information, first of all, how have they managed to keep this so sequestered from from the, the people who know nothing or people who have this idea that there's this matrix of information going on about entertainment and films and news and, right. you know, disasters, etc. And there's this other reality going on. How have they managed to sequester this information to a point where none of it intrudes onto the reality that we all think is, is, is something that we deal with on a day-to-day basis that we pick up on our newspapers. How has this happened? It well, I think me... what's happening, Victor, is that the, the cover-up is messy. Uh, it's, in fact, I subtitled this volume, The Cover-Up Exposed, because, in fact, what I argue is that is during the 1980s and 70s and 80s that it really became obvious that there was a cover-up. Now, that's different exposing the cover-up is not the same thing as overturning the Mm -hmm. cover-up. But I think it became very clear that uh, enough information leaked out to show that there was something going on, and and that continues to this day. And with any ruling elite, whether it's, uh, you know, today or ancient Rome of 2,000 years ago, there are always factions, always. Uh, Not everybody agrees on the plan. Uh, There are those inside who dissent from the prevailing opinions. And so um, nothing is ever crystal clear in terms of how these things operate. Uh, so information continues to come out. Now, it, it is, as I would argue, being hidden in plain sight. I mean, by that I simply mean anyone can, who has the wherewithal or has the desire to look at this can go to a library, can go to the web, and within a few minutes you could find a lot of great information. Um, so the information is there, but the, the fact is that there are still major loci of power on in our globe. I mean, here in the U.S., perfect example, forget UFOs, look at something as mundane, presumably, as the Kennedy assassination. Mm. In the United States, 80% of Americans believe Kennedy was killed in some kind of conspiracy, and basically 100% of the rest of the world believes this. But it still, in a sense, doesn't matter, because the powers that be within the U.S. have decreed that it wasn't a conspiracy, and that that is where the matter rests officially. If it doesn't appear on the front page of the New York Times, it didn't happen, it doesn't exist. I think there's also uh, the, the, uh, the fact that the, the truth is often protected by public incredulity. And you mentioned the, the Soviet gulag system and how yeah. we have a more sophisticated method over here. Uh, in fact, I think uh, uh, Primakov, a uh, former KGB uh, general, came over to, to help run Homeland Security and was very impressed with the system we have over here. They, they, uh, we utilize uh, marginalization, uh, removing uh, uh, tenure, uh, uh, you know, the, the glass ceiling. Yeah, it's, right, it's very exactly. subtle and very sophisticated. It works extremely well. Uh, I know we're short on time, but... I'll just take it one step further, and I, I would like to have a moment to, to discuss the possible, uh, you know, alleged disclosure that's being talked about. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I shot a, a television show that was uh, for the American Sci-Fi Channel. That was owned by NBC, which is in, in turn owned by General Electric. Um, and I recall in the summer of '06, I was complaining, as I often did during downtime, about the war in Iraq. I'm not a fan, we'll put it that way. Um, and this producer, who was a 50-something-year-old guy, very high up in NBC as a news producer, said, 
hey, look, I'm totally agreeing with you. And I said, well, where were you guys in 2002, 2003 during the ramp up to the war? You guys blew it. He said, yes, we did blow it. And I said, well, you don't have to blow it forever. Even now, it's not too late to correct a horrible mistake. And, and he looked off over my shoulder across and said, Rich, we're owned by General Electric. What do you really expect us to do? All right. So here's a guy, very, very sophisticated. He knew the score. He knew the score. Um, I realize I'm, I'm short on time. I wonder if I could just toss in my two cents on the um, uh, story that uh, at least some have claimed that President Obama is going to come out with it. Well, um, th- that's, that was my next question. Is it, 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 the, the, There are a lot of uh, hopes being pinned on this administration because of certain key appointments and John Podesta and so forth. You know the drill, that, 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 that disclosure is going to happen sometime within his, uh, his uh, term. You're, you're... Well, I, I, could not, I could not rule it out, okay? But um, I will say that the, uh, the, the, the sources that are currently being used to, um, to, to state that this is going to happen are, are to me, not persu- persuaded, uh, persuasive at all. I am not persuaded that this is going to happen, not right now. Um, in fact, I, I see little to no incentive for the Obama administration to, to do this. Now, I, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Um, but what I've actually seen with President Barack Obama is a very strong continuation of the policies of George W. Bush. Uh, this is in relation to financial policy. This is in relation to the war policy. It's also in relation to Big Brother spying policy. I'm not seeing any difference. And I'm seeing it also in relation to now this, uh, you know, the insistence on, uh, you know, over the swine flu, uh, having the vaccination relating to that, which I'm not, I'm not confident uh, that this vaccine is, is going to be helpful at all. So. Uh, in other words, I'm seeing, uh, you know, here's another man selected by the Bilderberg Group, and he was to get into the White House, and he's fulfilling really the same policies that have been fulfilled before. And on that basis, I don't really see change, and I don't see that there's going to be uh, a UFO disclosure. It will happen one day, and it will happen within the lifetime of almost everyone here listening, because history is moving too rapidly. Something will force it. Now, th- this may be... This may be the time, but I'm not seeing it, I'm, and I'm not persuaded that the sources that are behind this are, uh, in my opinion, reliable. Now, if, if that being the case, there are literally, you know, thousands of people listening to to what's going on right now on the radio, uh, Richard. Uh, many of whom who have no idea or have listening for the first time about this and think, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I'm and, sure. and that, that's a reality. You, know, you, you and I live and breathe this stuff literally every day, and I think yeah. I, that's a pretty fair statement. Uh, yeah. um, what, what, could you, what could you say in, in, a, in you know, 30 to 40 seconds, up to a minute, about what these people um, who have no acclimatization to this, this issue, what would you say to someone who's literally not, not touched by this? Here, here's what I would say. The UFO topic is actually incredibly important. People have no idea. It's important for many reasons. As a national security issue, when you have jets around the world scrambling after these things, Mm -hmm. it's important as a personal issue because I can guarantee you, listener, that you know people who have probably had what they believe to be abduction experiences. Yes. Sightings, absolutely. They haven't told you. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, because they they don't feel that they can. Mm -hmm. They're atomized. 
it's also important in terms of the technology behind this. Whatever is making these things go, it's probably not high-octane gasoline. We are in some serious infrastructure problems in this world today. And whatever is going on with the UFO mystery, it involves radical energy. And when the truth comes out, it's going to be revolutionary. Because one thing people are going to ask is, how have you kept this secret all these years? And it's going to open up a lot of issues about the nature of secrecy in our world. And there's going to be a lot of unhappy people. And we're going to have to make a transition to a completely new civilization. And that doesn't even get into the fact of who these other beings are. Well, we'll save that one for uh, uh, part two, uh, Richard. <laughs> Listen, great having you uh, with us. And my pleasure. You dropped some bombs uh, tonight, my friend, and we thank you uh, for that, I think. <laughs> well, Rich have them check out my website. <laughs> uh, yes, give us that address. Give us the address. Keyholepublishing.com. That's like looking through a keyhole. Keyholepublishing.com. Got lots of great stuff there. You can read about my books, articles, and so forth. And uh, we're linked up to your site on uh, oh, the homepage here at richardserrett.com. Just click on Richard Dolan's name on the homepage. And uh, again, Richard, thank you. My pleasure, Victor, and thank you, Richard. All right. Uh, Victor, thank you as always. Terrific. All right. We'll make a date. We'll come back and get Richard back on in uh, uh, part two. To be continued. And more. All right. Also, if you go to uh, richardserrett.com, the poll question is, do you think the UFO truth embargo will end under U.S. President Barack Obama? Answer yes or no. All right. UFOs, friends, or foes? When we come back, don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. All right, as I mentioned uh, earlier, it might be time after you've uh, just heard what you've heard on this program, it might be time to stop watching the skies and start watching your back in terms of the uh, the whole UFO uh, phenomena. And uh, what, again, continues to resonate with me about that last hour was Richard Dolan, author of UFOs in the National Security State. His belief, and again, this is coming from a trained historian who's examined documents. He's most comfortable examining government documents following the paper trail. 
his contention that we have within the human family two separate civilizations. Almost like, I, I, in fact, I believe there was a, uh, an episode on the old Star Trek uh, series where you had the, uh, almost the illumined ones, the, uh, the, the knows in terms of knowledge, sort of living um, up on the surface uh, of this planet, and the, uh, the troglodytes sort of living beneath the surface, uh, sustaining life for the, uh, the elites. And, of course, there was a revolution that ensued. Is that what's going on in this planet right now? Perhaps, perhaps. UFOs, ETs, more specifically, or aliens, are they, in fact, our friends? Are they here to save us from ourselves with promises of free energy, clean energy, cures for every known disease? Or are they, in fact, our enemies? Not ETs at all, interdimensional, demonic. To uh, discuss is uh, Ali Siadatan, who was... Uh, Born in Iran, now based in Canada, he's been involved in a lifelong search into spirituality, and after examining many perspectives, his uh, heart was open to the gospel and he became a disciple of the Nazarene. He feels that the hand that has guided him through life has led him into the examination of the relationship that exists between angels and UFOs. I say angels, we're talking about uh, the, the good and the bad, of course, the, the fallen angels, also part of the equation. He is the director of the critically acclaimed uh, documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods. Ali Siadatan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show on AM740. How are you? Fine, thank you, Richard. And how are you? Uh, I'm actually a little, a little shaken, uh, given my discussion that la in that last hour. I don't know how much of that you were able uh, to, uh, to, to listen to. Um, just the end of it. Well, from a biblical perspective... When, when uh, Richard Dolan talks about two civilizations within the human family, uh, one of those civilizations made up of the, these secret elites who, are, who have UFO technology at their disposal, while the rest of us, of course, languish uh, using uh, uh, you know, non-renewable resources, etc., uh, our resources running out, food... Uh, clean water, et cetera, et cetera. The, again, these other, these super elites, perhaps even uh, having, uh, you know, the, obviously having the, the, the uh, far superior technology, greater, uh, you know, medical advances at their disposal, perhaps even immortality, as my friend Victor Vigiani was discussing or mentioning to me off the air. Talk to me about that within a biblical perspective. I mean, does that make, does that, does that follow along prophecy well, lines? If you go back to uh, the book of Genesis and the judgments that are spoken by God uh, towards Satan, Adam, and Eve, uh, God says that he's going to put an enmity between the seed of Satan and, uh, and the seed of the woman. And if you take that through the scriptures, uh, you do encounter this continuous relationship between the fallen angels and human civilizations, like the very famous story of the creation of the Nephilim leading to the flood uh, that points to an intermingling of seeds. 
uh, you encounter the same type of an activity when uh, the book of Exodus talks about spies being sent into the land of Canaan and them coming back and saying, well, the land is filled with these giants and they're too afraid to take over. Coming back to the, to the gospel, coming up to the gospels, you you hear um, uh, in the temptations of Christ, Satan saying that the whole world, that he has dominion over the world and he will give it to whoever he wishes. And um, uh, there there are other passages that, like the uh, the story in, in in the book of Daniel, where an angel is sent to speak to Daniel, but he's encountered by the power that's behind the Persian Empire, and and, and he's withheld for 21 days by this power that's in the 10th chapter of Daniel. It, this, this continuous relationship leading, of course, all the way to the Second Coming, which suggests uh, an angelic-led war against the return of the Messiah to the earth, does suggest a continued relationship between the fallen angels and the civilizations of, in this context, in the biblical context, the children of Adam and Eve. And and this can and how long uh, how how deep this relationship is how secret it is how, do they have key people in the various empires moving forward a specific agenda you know um, it, it's not impossible to um, stumble on evidence that points to the larger story that the Bible is presenting to us. Ali, let me uh, stop you there and ask you uh, this: uh, Why is it? necessary that these uh, aliens, the pilots of these, uh, these flying disks, have to be interdimensional and have to be uh, uh, from the angelic realm, either uh, you know, uh, God's messengers or the, the fallen angels. Why? I mean, the Bible, as far as I know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the Bible doesn't say or doesn't necessarily say that there can't be life on other planets. In fact, the Vatican came out uh, uh, a couple of summers ago and, and, and stated quite uh, clearly that it's okay as a Christian, as a Catholic, to believe in extraterrestrials. So why couldn't they just be interlopers that are uh, uh, interceding in human affairs? Uh, 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 why do they have to be demonic? Well, I think that, that that's a very important question you've asked. I think you've really uh, put your finger uh, to the very heart of the conversation as far as I'm concerned. And it comes down to paradigms and worldviews. What is the paradigm through which we are understanding the UFO phenomenon? What is the worldview through which we are contextualizing the evidence that researchers are gathering? And the story of the Bible, if we're to take the biblical perspective, presents us with an all-encompassing uh, story that encompasses all the facets of reality um, within the context of the relationship of God and, and the sentient beings on this planet. It tells us a story that uh, is so large you know, that, that God has p p placed on this planet beings made in his own image. And we are the children of the Elohim. And um, as the narrative goes forward, it seems that God is firmly in control of what is actually happening, how history is unfolding, and um, leading all the way to, this, to, to the Gospels and, 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 the, and God coming down himself, um, and then leading to in the prophetic language, to, in, in the prophetic text, to the establishment of a messianic kingdom, to uh, the, uh, the ones that, 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 that are his uh, becoming immortal and becoming part of um, the central power structure of the universe, it seems. So the story is so vast and so encompassing 
that it, it's not that it's not possible that there's not some you know, interloper somewhere out there in the universe outside of this cosmic battle. Um, you know, it, like the book of Revelation indicates that one-third of the angels have gone with, um, with Satan. And so it does point to something that's very large on the scale of the galaxies. So the, the Earth at this point is the heart of such a huge story. And if you look at what's happening in the Middle East from a prophetic point of view, um, that we may even be at a climactic uh, intersection in this story. So, so yes, may, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can only venture a guess and say, I don't know, maybe one of these UFOs is from uh, Alpha Centauri or somewhere you know, hanging around the Earth uh, taking pictures. But the phenomenon as a whole, the abductions, the creation of hybrids, the infusion into human civilization, the continued presence and communication that has given birth to the codes that underlie all of our civilizations, the phenomenon as a whole, for me, falls within the scope of the narrative structure of what the Bible presents, because what it says is so large that it encompasses the movement of history, including the relationship of humans with these other beings. Now, to the second part of your question... Just uh, let me get you to hold on, and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll address the second part of the question, uh, assuming I can remember what that was <laughs> after my lengthy preamble. But uh, stay with us. Uh, Ali Siadatan is a documentary filmmaker, and uh, his film is UFOs, Angels, and Gods. You can find out more about that by uh, linking on to thinkagainproductions.com, www.thinkagainproductions.com, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Aliens, friends or foes. Ali Siadatan is uh, my guest. And uh, he is the director of a documentary. The final cut is now available online. Full screen broadcast quality. You can download it for a mere $4.99. It's called UFOs, Angels, and Gods. He's looking at this whole UFO phenomena from a biblical perspective. And uh, Ali, uh, one of my guests from the previous hour, uh, Victor Vigiani from Exopolitics uh, Canada, is uh, still lurking about <laughs> and uh, wanted to is, is listening with great fascination uh, to the discussion and wanted to to to, to uh, throw in his two cents so uh, uh, Victor what did you want to ask yeah, Ali? Th- thanks Richard um, hi Ali hello hi Victor uh, um, as you as you might imagine um, the the exopolitical point of view that 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 we represent uh, with exopolitics Canada and exopolitics in general is that um, we, we're attempting to uh, trying 
to come up with some sort of uh, diplomatic answer to and who these might these beings might be, and our understanding from a geopolitical point of view, uh, granted it's not a uh, biblical point of view, which is another uh, aspect of my belief system too, but that from a geopolitical point of view, that whoever these beings are, these creatures are, um, they they may represent a universe that's teeming with life. Uh, that's the one thing that. Uh, Exopolitics, uh, in its foundations, really believes that the universe itself, in in, in a physical way, right now, not dimensionally uh, in, or interdimensionally necessarily, it, the universe is in fact teeming with life, and that this these lives, these civilizations, have somehow made their way to our planet to either observe or interact. And uh, I guess my question to you is the physical nature of their interaction, of their presence, that we are definitely being engaged by off-world civilizations in a, in a very physical, manifest way, uh, is real. It is something tangible. It, um, I agree. Um, okay, well, so I guess there, there, there you go. That, that level of agreement is, 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 is good. Um, in, in what way do you see the geopolitical implications of their presence? I, I, that, that would be sort of a, a question that I would th throw to you in, in a very practical sense, that if disclosure or if their manifestation, either on their part or our part, does indeed um, execute itself, if, if that does become real, um, our civilization is going to be impacted upon in a very real way. I, I agree with you. Um... I was at the Expo Politics uh, at the Convocation uh, Hall in U of T. Well, you were there. Good. Yes. Uh, Richard Hellyer was there as well. I recall that. It was wonderful. Um, basically... Former former Defense Minister Paul Hellyer. I think Paul Hellyer, yeah. yes. With all the Richards tonight, I, I got Richard <laughs> on the mind. Okay. <laughs> um, I would like to just um, roll back... Um, the question you asked for me had had some facts and assumptions put together. Um, the fact is, yes, there are UFOs on the Earth. I've had a very significant UFO sighting myself. The evidence uh, uh, going all the way back to Sign and Blue Book. I mean, it's the, the it's there. Um, but then the assumption is. That, that, you know, there's these civilizations that are visiting us at this point in our history, and um, they are, the, you're making assumptions about the nature of their mind, uh, they're benevolent, uh, they're intelligent, uh, uh, meeting them at this point will have impacts geopolitically. Um, there, for me, um, there are assumptions that are being made. When I was interviewing um, Professor David Jacobs, um, from Philadelphia, uh, Temple University, he was saying that often he finds that human values are superimposed on UFOs. Meanwhile, the facts of uh, the subversive nature of alien abductions uh, points to the fact that you know, they, they're not necessarily interested in landing on the lawn of the White House and saying, guys, look, we're here, let's evolve. Um, they are, have their own agenda. And the abduction phenomenon and what's that ha what's, all of that's happening with that is actually at the heart of the UFO phenomenon in his thinking um, and points not to a benevolent contact, but rather to a subversive agenda of kinds. 
And um, going back to the biblical point of view, which, which I think is important, because for me they're not inter- in the Bible. The whole idea that you know angels are these interdimensional beings, but here we are in the universe, in the physical world where life is actually happening. For me, I, what I see from the Book of Genesis to Revelation is the account of physical spiritual beings. Even the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's a point where he appears and he says, you know, touch me, see that I'm not a ghost that I have flesh and bone, uh, he says to his disciples, that a ghost doesn't have flesh and bone. The idea of non-physical spirituality is actually something that came into Christian thought from Greek thinking, from Gnosticism. Uh, Hebrew thought is one of physical uh, spirituality, the physical resurrection of the dead, uh, the physical resurrection of the Messiah. Uh, you know, God walks in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden, eats with Abraham, uh, works through time process um, and is part of the universe as we understand it, uh, the host of the heavens uh, um, are mentioned uh, in, 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 the, in the Bible. So bring it back to aliens then, uh, so aliens as a to, physical so manifestation so of, of spirituality. It's not a new phenomenon. For me, it's, it's not possible to look at the UFO phenomenon out of the blue and say, okay, well, now let's try to understand them now and superimpose a particular cultural worldview. We have to go back and study the deep history that we've inherited that has always talked about humans and other beings and how our history has evolved as a result of this interaction. So now we can understand who these guys are once we understand our family history. Um, when, you know, when you look at the um, American dollar bill with its famous Novus Ordo Secularum, the new secular order, people who are raised in the new secular order tend to have that world view, and that world view is then superimposed on, you know, these, these alien ships. Uh, where are they? Oh, well, they're, they're, they're civilizations that have come to the Earth, and now where they're making contact with us at this crucial point in our history. So, for me, a story is then created that somehow explains this. However, before the new secular order, there was a, there was a very deep history that we have inherited that actually explains the continued interaction that we've had and identifies these beings, and it is by following the narrative structure that we can now contextualize this modern UFO phenomenon and the, and the nature of the contact. Ali, let me ask you this. Uh, you're you're say, saying, then, that all UFO counters are not necessarily encounters with demonic entities. Some of these could act, <clears throat> excuse me, some of these could be angelic uh, messengers of God. That that is what I believe. Um, for me, the idea that the angels of God will also use technology is not um, sacrilegious. When I look at, for instance, uh, humans themselves, in, in, in this story, we know we are made in the image of God. In the New Testament, the, the divine spirit enters the, the believers. Yet we travel in automobiles, planes, airplanes, send rockets up to our space stations. It doesn't make us any less, you know, the children of, 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 of Adam. So um, if someone from Abraham's time came and, and saw us and, and we said to him, oh, we're still the same guys, and if he said, no, you can't be the same guys, because, you know, the children of God stop at mules and chariots, um, and, we, you know, we kind of weird. We're like, no, you know, life has, has moved on. So we are the children of God, and we use technology. So the idea that angels also use technology, both fallen and righteous, isn't, doesn't, doesn't irk me. It actually explains... Uh, uh, many passages in the Bible that, invo- that talk about angelic war uh, to me, like the passage in Daniel 10, it, it assumes comparable strength. 
there's that uh, wonderful footage from uh, the Columbia shuttle camera that shows, I think, um, this this UFO zooming away while another one shoots something at it. That's it. Ali, let me get, well, because it's, this is a rare opportunity while I have Victor representing yeah. sort of the exopolitical field and, and Ali, you coming at the UFO phenomena from a bil- biblical perspective. So let me ask you about that, Victor, because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there is the, 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 uh, the, that interesting footage of what appears to be two UFOs firing on each other. But let right. me go back to the abduction phenomena first. Right. Uh, because this is the one thing that has me, all, as you know, we've talked about this, Very leaning, mm-hmm. leaning into uh, Ali's camp in terms of what these aliens are and what do they want. So, I mean, how do you address the, the abduction phenomena? How, I mean, how else could you see it if not as a, as a, I mean, this is pure evil what they're doing to people. Well, it's always been a problem for me. And I've, I've, uh, as you know, Richard, I've encountered and dealt with individuals, uh, over just about two dozen individuals who've had these these experiences. Abductions. Uh, they, right, exactly. And in my work uh, w- with these individuals and my discussions with, with Dr. John Mack and, and even David Jacobs, uh, Ali, uh, we both discussed the, the polemic ideas about what this is all about. Um, the conclusion that I've come to is that there are uh, what I refer to as earlier is, is the universe teeming with different types of, uh, of, of civilizations. My opinion is that there is an entity or a group of entities that, that do engage in these kinds of things. Now, what they do to human beings in terms of the abduction experience is very specific and as far as I'm concerned is unethical. However, um, taking I, tissue samples, the, uh, the, uh, creating uh, hybrids, examining the, the DNA sampling—it's—it's all—it's a very nefarious situation, and that—that that may represent, you know, one one uh, aspect of the species that are engaging us, and I, I definitely think that that's going on. There's make no doubt about that at all. However, I do know that they that they, that that there are other races out there. This is not a, a, a unidimensional or, or or you know. Victor, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you say I know there are other races out there, um, where's the where do you, where does this information come from? The experiencers, the the, the people that have been abducted. These okay. people have been taken. And they also they, they talk to me about situations where their their um, uh, their their experiences have been very enlightening, have been very um, enthralling, have been filled with joy. Uh, once they get past the the idea of being victimized by all of this, um, there is an experience that becomes very very specific to their own being, and it might be just something that's beyond becoming a victim. Yeah, but we, we can talk. We can talk about. About that after the break. Yeah, let's, think, let, yeah. thank you, uh, Victor. We will, uh, Ali. Uh, you know, it seems to me the two of you are actually you're you're talking about the same thing. You just you have different names for them. Uh, I think there's a lot of common ground here. Really, there's no doubt about it. All right, yeah. l- let's uh, let's come back. Ali Seattatan, UFOs, Gods and Angels, the final cut available for download at www.thinkagainproductions.com. Victor Vigiani fighting to end the. 60-year-plus truth embargo on UFOs. Are we ready? Not so sure. Back with more. Don't go away. President uh, Clinton was asked a question by White House reporter Sarah McClendon about why he didn't do something about uh, disclosure. And Clinton replied, Sarah, there's a government inside the government, and I don't control it. 
passcodes, personal identification numbers, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers, 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. That clip coming back was former Canadian Defence Minister Paul Hellyer uh, speaking at the ex-conference uh, in Washington. That was a press conference, uh, I guess, uh, a year or two ago. Uh, Victor Vigiani is, is staying with us graciously from Exopolitics uh, Canada. Ali Siadatan is on the line uh, arguing the, the UFO phenomena from a biblical perspective, maintaining that, in fact, the, uh, the pilots of these uh, craft, these flying disks, are interdimensional, not extraterrestrial, and they are, by and large, at least in terms of the encounters with, uh, uh, that involve an abduction, uh, these are demonic. They are not uh, here to save us from ourselves. Uh, we've got a lot of people uh, uh, calling in, and, uh, and I do want to uh, work in some calls as well, but before we, uh, we get to Tottenham on the line, who's been waiting patiently, uh, let me ask you this, Ali, or, or make mention of what I said earlier, and that is there is a lot of common ground between what you're saying, coming from a bi- biblical perspective, and what Victor is saying, coming from a, a geopolitical perspective. You call them, uh, uh, you know, messengers of God or, or demons, right. these pilots. Uh, he calls them extraterrestrial. Uh, um, so maybe you're both right, in a sense. I mean, who's to say that uh, that angels and, and demons are, in, a, are in fact... Uh, interdimensional. Maybe, you know, heaven is out there. Uh, maybe the demonic and the angelic realm is out there. Well, th- well that, I, that is perhaps one point of view that I have that um, separates me from a lot of Christian UFO researchers, and that is that I don't necessarily um, need to understand the, the UFO phenomenon through an interdimensional point of view. For me, the spiritual world, as far as what I see in the Bible, is not in another dimension. In fact, I, I see that as one of Satan's ruses. Ah, interesting, okay. Um, in the story of the Bible is the story of physical, spiritual beings unfolding on earth and in the heavens, which is the you know, old word for universe in English. And the universe is a vast, vast place, and as Victor is saying, you know, it's probably teeming with life. I mean, just look at how much life there is on earth. I just think that all of this life falls within the scope of the Creator, and He has spoken to us concerning the nature of reality, and it encompasses the UFOs. Um, but the story is unfolding in time and space, the way where you and I are living. I don't necessarily see some ghostly dimension out of which pops. You know these, uh, these, uh, you know this world, other world, the angels, God. Uh, they're not in the clouds, and they're not in the ghostly dimension. The story is unfolding in time and space in the galaxies on the earth. And I see, you know, when it says that Satan has taken one third of the angels with him, I see that as meaning that he has, you know, intergalactic power. We're we, we're talking about a war of cosmic proportions, something that is happening on the earth that's central to the universe as a whole. If it's true that on this planet is the birthplace of the immortal children of God. All right, let me grab a call here in uh, Tottenham, and the caller remains anonymous. Uh, hello, welcome to AM740 and The Conspiracy Show. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. No problem. Go ahead. In the middle of the 70s, I lived in Holland Landon, and about half past six one night, I heard this 
noise and looked up and there was this light, magnificent ball, kind of oblong shape, and it was just hovering. And I took a second look at it. There was a small private airport near us, and I thought, it's not a small plane, it's not a helicopter. But I grabbed the kids and I pulled them inside. I stayed at the kitchen window for about three quarters of an hour. And I watched this thing, and it just hovered. Then it would dart. Then it would hover a little bit, then dart again. My husband at the time was working on the extension for the subway in Toronto up to Shepherd Avenue. Right. And he was on the afternoon shift. And I called him and said, you know, could you come home a little bit early? This had unnerved me. Did it ever happen again? Actually... It did. But what happened was he did come home early that night and I told him and he said, Oh, he said you've been reading the inquirer or something. The next day he came next night he came home from work, he says, Hey, tell me what happened again and I told him. And he was telling me that there was a chap that he worked with who come from Newmarket and his wife and her sister were driving up Highway eleven. They were going up to Barry to go to Bingo. And just north of the Holland Landing cutoff and south of Bradford at Bathurst Street, he said his wife and his sister come home absolutely terrified. They saw the exact same thing. Yeah. All right. Anonymous in uh, in Tottenham, thank you for that. I hope you'll call again. Uh, We're always interested in uh, your your sightings. Ali, during uh, uh, during biblical times, the fallen angels... Uh, who commingled with the daughters of men and produced the Nephilim, a race of giants. Why did they take uh, uh, the form of giants in uh, in uh, in uh, biblical times? And now they are flying around in flying saucers, uh, looking. Well, we get various descriptions. Uh, these gray uh, aliens. Uh, why a different uh, disguise or form, if you will? Um, well, the sto- yes, the story of the uh, book of Genesis about the Nephilim is that the giants were the children, the offspring right. of fallen angels and humans. Um, so we don't have a description of the fallen angels, we have a description of their children. And the word Nephilim, um, the Hebrew um, origins of that word, uh, means the fallen ones, and apparently it kind of alludes to the mixture of, of human and angelic mud and celestial, um, and, and has, was translated as gigantus into Latin, and the name kind of you know came into English as giants, but the Hebrew gives us more information. It's not just about height; it's about the nature of the combination of two DNA brands, and um, that had a very specific purpose. Um, it seems the purpose of that was to disrupt the messianic lineage, but it continued through the one who wasn't contaminated by this Noah, and so the the the, the story continued. Um, in this case, uh, what we're seeing uh, with the creation of hybrids, uh, last time I spoke with uh, Professor Jacobs, who was saying that the people that come to him from all walks of life who've been abducted and tell their stories are now saying that uh, these uh, hybrids are now uh, uh, being housed in their apartments, in their homes, and they're asked to find social security numbers for them, get driver's license uh, driver's licenses for them, and the integration into human society. Wait, 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 wait a second. Uh, Jacobs uh, has told you that the 
people that have, uh, let's talk, the women, let's say, yeah. that have been impregnated right. um, uh, with uh, alien DNA, yes. have given birth to alien-human hybrids, are keeping them in, in their apartments, and they're now they're being instructed to go and in integrate these hybrids into society. Well, if, if again, we're following along the same lines as uh, from, from biblical times, they would be then giving birth to Nephilim, giants, would yeah. they not? Yeah, well... This time they're engineered. Last time it seems that it was natural. This time, there, um, Jacob says that from the interviews he's done, uh, it, 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 there's three sections to it. First, uh, a hybrid is born, and then DNA is taken from that hybrid, and the woman is impregnated a second time, and then a third time. And each time the hybrid gets closer to human-looking, and that's why he's developed the idea that the purpose is integration because they're really going out of their way to engineer hybrids that look like us. So there is a different strategy at hand. And as far as uh, what Victor was saying about how some of these abductees are now saying that once they overcome the fear, they uh, get into the gifts and all that stuff, um, what Jacobs was saying that actually he's noticed that most of the people that he has talked to at some point embrace the abduction phenomenon as a benevolent thing. So even though he's listening to it and seeing the horrific nature of it, the people who are under the influence uh, go deeper into that influence. Um, the, there, there's, there's a minority whose mind actually resists, but it seems that the majority go into influence and there are gifts given to them which really, you know, draw you deeper. I mean, was it not in the Garden of Eden that Satan kind of, you know, charmed Eve? Um, we tend to think of evil as, as being without cunning. We, think, we tend to think of evil as being just really horrible. But actually, it, it, evil is filled with cunning. It, it, the, the, you know, the, it says that he was the craftiest uh, of the God's creatures. The, word, the Hebrew word that's been translated as crafty means cunning. And so, so um, this is to say that people who've come under the influence of this phenomenon are now kind of, are the ambassadors of it is not necessarily um, a, a, a sure source of information because they have become under the influence of minds that are uh, superior to theirs. That so are you're, you're saying you're saying that there's a level of manipulation going on. Um, I'm saying that uh, manipulation is at the heart of it. I see. I see. And now, as far as the good angels, uh, the, you know, you were saying that there's benevolent civilizations. I, I absolutely believe in, in, in not only that there are good angels, but in fact that God and his angels are in control. So I, I don't want to paint a dark picture. Mm -hmm. how, how, how then would you interpret some of the messages uh, that uh, experiencers have, have relayed to me and to... To, to other people who've dealt with abductees, that not only are are these some of these abductees um, you know, taken in experiments, so on and so forth, but a, a large number of them are, are taken and they are sort of imbued with um, different scenarios uh, as to um, the message that they need to take back to the population that they live with, namely that the, that the planet is in great danger and the planet, uh, because of a number of, of, of situations, you know, fossil fuels, uh, the geopolitical situation in terms of, uh, you know, nuclear energy and uh, the, the constant cycle of war and ethnic violence, that our planet is, is, in, is in deep jeopardy and that somehow these kinds of scenarios have to come to some sort of closure, that the ethnic violence and the cycle of war and the war economy and the... 
the economic system and the, 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 the distance between the rich and the poor. Yeah, is that part the, of the manipulation yeah, alley, or is yeah, that a genuine I, message? You, he, yeah, the, these, thing, the, yes, the, these things are being told to these individuals that they need to come back to the planet and try to reconcile these situations. Uh, that just doesn't seem to fit with the other... doesn't sound scenario. demonic on well, the surface. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you said that, because I think that takes us to the heart of the matter, and it, it brings us back to the geopolitical importance of, of this issue. Um, basically, um, at least what, what I got from Professor Jacobs uh, when he talked about the messages that are given to abductees and these scenarios of, of you know, apocalyptic scenarios that they're shown, uh, that you know, something has to be done, what he said was that um, uh, the aliens are telling them that, in fact, they are the ones who are going to help humanity forward and that these particular abductees are chosen and given messages and roles, things that are deep inside of their minds that will come out when the time is right, that will have roles to fulfill uh, as foot soldiers, in a sense, as part of this um, um, you know, salvation that's coming from these aliens. So are, you're saying this is, part, this is a demonic deception, but... Oh, yes, what I'm saying is that they're preparing to perhaps present themselves or their chosen hybrid as the savior of the world. The Antichrist. Uh, yes. All right, Ali, uh, stay with us. Ali Siadatan, UFOs, Gods, and Angels, the final cut, available online at thinkagainproductions.com. Victor Vigiani in studio from Exopolitics Canada. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Yes, you might love the show, but maybe in the end you'll curse the show. Some of the news, some of the information is unsettling, to be sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, and also uh, please uh, sign up for um, uh, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett Fan Club on Facebook. Uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook. Also, let me draw to your attention. The, uh, I, I'd like to keep you updated on the, the progress of the, the television project. There is a trailer... Uh, for The Conspiracy Show, a television program, which is uh, we're attempting to sell internationally as we speak. Uh, there is a trailer for it, if you haven't seen it, on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and just type in The Conspiracy Show, that'll take you to the uh, the trailer that's about a minute and 15. won't take a lot of time for you to look at it. It'll give you a sense of, uh, of uh, what this program is going to look like. And uh, Victor Vigiani is actually, uh, you'll actually get to see the uh, the, the face um, that goes with that the uh, that um, that voice. So uh, and and post a comment on YouTube if you like what you see as well, please. YouTube and the Conspiracy Show. All right, Ali Siadatan is with us. Uh, UFOs, Gods, and Angels: The Final Cut uh, documentary available at ThinkAgainProductions.com. Again, Ali, listening to this conversation between you and Victor, again I see more common ground than perhaps the two of you realize. He. Uh, you are insisting on calling these um, uh, these uh, aliens uh, demons and uh, and angels. And uh, Victor, while doesn't necessarily rule that out, is uh, what he sees here is by and large, in some instances, a message of hope. And in the Bible, angels would occasionally uh, tap somebody on the shoulder and frighten the hell out of them with their awesome power. It was not necessarily a pleasant experience encountering an angel in the Bible. Uh, so who's to say that, uh, again, some of these encounters are with 
angels with a message of hope. Um, well, I think you've got to kind of zoom out and look at the whole thing from a 30,000-seat altitude. Um, if I may, um, I, what I see is not um, incidents of messages of hope. What I see, first of all, is a worldwide phenomenon uh, that goes from, you know, Japan to Mexico, from, from uh, one side of the globe to the other. And what I see is a story that the race of humans are living that seems to fall within the scope of the prophecies of God. Um, what is happening um, in uh, the Middle East, I think, is central to these prophecies. And um, I think that the UFO phenomenon, for me at least, and alien abductions and messages, all of it, has to be plugged in to the whole narrative for us to now understand this very large phenomenon. So wait, wait a we second, let me... zoom on on just, you know, messages of hope, oh, angels tap on shoulder, okay, well, hey, that's great. Okay, well, let me just stop you there. You mentioned the Middle East. So you see the UFO phenomenon uh, linked to uh, the unrest in the Middle East. For example, uh, it's not lost on, on a lot of people, I'm sure, that the... The, the research, 1948, the birth of uh, the nation, the modern state of Israel, and one year prior, uh, we had the, the crash at Roswell, New Mexico, and the resurgence in UFO sightings in 47. And so, Kenneth Arnold, yeah. So you're, you're saying that there is a connection, a connection there? Yes, absolutely. We have entered a new age, a new part of history leading up, um, I think, to the second coming of Christ. Uh, you know, we have, you mentioned the Nephilim from the book of Genesis. We've, we've talked about... Uh, the modern-day phenomenon um, and, and experiences of people, can we ignore the story that says that uh, God came to the earth as a Jew 2,000 years ago? Can we ignore this gigantic uh, piece of information that is at the heart of so many of our civilizations and has become the most important story of the human race, even though it happened in some small colony of the Roman Empire, when some, where some unknown guy was, you know, arrested, trialed, and executed. So, um, and if we follow this guy's story and say, where does it lead? It says that he actually comes back to the earth and brings about a kingdom and an age of peace. So I can see the fallen angels playing off on that because I see a pattern of the fallen angels playing, in off, playing off on God's promises and presenting themselves in these beautiful faces and saying, no, no, let's deflect it from that to us. Could I just interrupt uh, just for a second? Of course. Um, we're looking at this uh, from a strictly Judeo-Christian point of view, um, the, 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 the Christ and... Um, who he may have been. Now, you're, you, I'm, I'm speaking as a, you know, I, I was brought up as a Catholic, and uh, you know, all of the things that the Catholics believe. Um, what if, Ali? What if the Judeo-Christian um, belief system in the Bible, and that as we believe it, and there are many other cultures out there who are not plugged into the Bible. Just what if uh, Jesus Christ is an absolute non-entity in this whole dialogue? Um, I mean, what if the moon is made of cheese? Um, uh, no, that's, that's not a fair example. Please that's not don't, a fair don't, example. No, that's not a good example. Just, just what, if, what if Jesus Christ was a very important individual on the planet at, at the time he came, but in fact that he was not the divine entity, uh, and that the Bible really only represents one particular point of view of a Judeo-Christian uh, paradigm? I think that's a fair question, and I think that that is probably a question that, that anyone who looks at Christ should ask themselves. 
Um, for me, the answer, ironically, is found not in the New Testament, but in the Old. Um, when you go uh, uh, back into the Old Testament um, and start to kind of examine um, the, the sequence of prophetic and historical text that makes it up, where God says this is what's going to happen to the Jews, uh, you know, the Babylonians are going to conquer Jerusalem, uh, the Persians are going to conquer the Babylonians and free the Jews. Um, the, the, the movement of Middle Eastern history is very well prophesied in the Old Testament and then is recorded not only by the chroniclers of Israel, but also by uh, the chroniclers of these other kingdoms. And now there's enough archaeology that has unearthed that, yes, in fact, you know, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. Okay, Ali, I know where you're going, and we would need an entire you know, uh, a show just to discuss, I guess, you know, was Jesus an historical figure? Was he, was he who he said he was? I believe he was who he said he was. Um, it's a fair question. I don't think we're, we have the time to, to answer it now, but we'll be back to, to wrap things up here on The Conspiracy Show. the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Uh, note to general manager and program director, I need a five-hour show. That's about all I can say at this point. Uh, Victor uh, Vigiani, uh, thank you for uh, for hanging around. And uh, Ali, thank you for being such a good sport. But this wasn't planned, but um, when uh, Al, uh, Victor wanted to, to sit and listen uh, to, to what you had to say because you're very erudite, and uh, uh, he just he asked to, to, I really to jump in. I really enjoyed the conversation in. with Victor. I'm, I'm glad that he, that he hung around. It is a pleasure to talk to you, Ali. Well, we'll, uh, we'll do it again if you're both in agreement. Uh, Ali, uh, tell me again, the, uh, the, uh, the UFOs, Angels, and Gods, uh, this is the final cut. The final cut is available for download, but the rough cut is there to be watched for free off of our website. Enjoy it. Um, and the final cut will be available on DVD shortly. Are you working on, uh, on, an, on a, another documentary as well? Yeah, I've started to um, um, call in for some interviews. And this second documentary, um, if, it, if it does come to fruition, is called The, the Second Coming. All right. Well, of course, you'd have to eventually address that issue. That's uh, that's the only issue that, that matters from your perspective and mine, quite frankly. Uh, well, Ali, all I can say again is is uh, thank you and uh, to be continued. Let's uh, let's uh, talk again, and, and we'll we'll have Victor on uh, as well because um, it's nice to have this kind of a civil discussion. Because you know, Ali, I don't have to tell you. That there is a, and Victor, I don't have to tell you, there mm-hmm. is a component within the disclosure movement who would not even sit in the same room and dis- have this discussion with Ali. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. and I appreciate that. Thank you, yeah. Victor. Oh, All right. It's great. Ali Siadadan, Think Again Productions, and Victor Vigiani, Exopolitics Canada. Thank you, my friend. All right. Uh, back next week. Joel Skousen is the editor of World Affairs Brief, and uh, he's. Uh, publishing a newsletter that you really need to get your mitts on because he talks about really who's pulling the strings and and uh, the, the the news behind the headlines that you don't get anywhere else. Joel Skousen will be with me and uh, I'll speak with a woman who has developed software who can analyze your voice imprint and tell you how uh, or what uh, diseases you might be susceptible to. She might even be able to tell you based on your voice imprint whether you've got the swine flu. 
and she can do it live on the air. Dan Ellison, thanks uh, for your capable uh, technical expertise. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Darn raccoons. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.